everyone, I'm Nicole Rojas, and welcome to All About Animals Radio. Our guest today is Adams Kasinga, founder of Conserve Congo. Founded in 2013, Conserve Congo is a nonprofit conservation whose mission is to maintain the biodiversity of the Congo Basin and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Congo Basin is a vast tropical rainforest and a biodiversity hotspot, which is home to hundreds of mammal species. Conserve Congo puts itself on the front lines to save and protect endangered species from poachers and wildlife traffickers, fighting the good fight every day, trying to prevent extinction of wildlife. To date, Conserve Congo has over 5,000 successful cases of wildlife trafficking. Part of Conserve Congo's work includes investigating wildlife trafficking networks, collaborating with authorities on arresting wildlife traffickers, rescuing wildlife in the region and finding sanctuary placement for the wildlife, rehabilitating injured wildlife in their natural habitat, supporting subsistence farming to ensure food security in regions where poaching of wildlife occurs due to hunger, and education in the communities about the importance of conservation. Prior to creating Conserve Congo, Adams was an investigative journalist turned wildlife crimes investigator. In 2020, Adams was awarded the National Geographic Emerging Explorer Award. This award goes to trailblazers making extraordinary contributions in the world, and in Adams' case, to conservation. I met Adams in 2019 at a rally in Washington, D.C. to help stop baby elephants being taken from the herd in Zimbabwe to live in a zoo in China. Adams gave an inspirational speech about the elephants in the wild and how their presence is so important for the ecosystem and the whole world. Wherever Adams goes, he is always making an impact for the wildlife. Thank you, Adams, for being here today. Thank you very much, Nicole. I'm glad to be here on the show. I am so glad to have you here. I wanted to start off with what was the inspiration for creating Conserve Congo? Great. I think um, beyond inspiration, Conserve Congo was created as a, as a need. And the need was uh, to address an issue which had never been addressed before, not only in our country, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but in the region at large. And that was to address the issue of wildlife trafficking. Government and civil society has been talking about poaching for over a decade now, but the issue of the illicit trade of wildlife as a commodity in order to make gain had never been addressed before uh, the existence of Conserve Congo. And we knew that even though poaching existed, which is the act of uh, hunting illegally in protected areas to injure, to capture, and uh, to get this wildlife outside of these uh, areas so that they can make profit. And since government had already uh, park rangers and other law enforcement within these protected areas, we thought it would be best for us as part of the civil society also to have a presence outside of these protected areas because in any case, wildlife is never poached so that it can stay within natural reserves. It is poached so that it can come out and sometimes even outside of the country to make gain. And uh, we saw that void and Conserve Congo came in in support of the efforts made by our state in order to cover this void. Wow. 
I didn't realize that you were the trailblazer for all of that, that Conserve Congo was leading the way. Yes, indeed, we are leading. As a matter of fact, Conserve Congo is the only uh, organization, part of the civil society, committed to doing what we do. And uh, that is because it's an issue that many do not understand yet. And they do not understand how wildlife trafficking affects us. As you may have heard, since 1976, we have, heard, we have had about nine outbreaks of Ebola, which mm -hmm. is a pandemic emanating from the consumption of bush meat, including uh, large fruit bats, primates, and pangolins. And look at how it has evolved today. Now we have COVID-19. Right is said by scientists to be a result of uh, playing, or should I say, uh, handling wildlife without being careful. And uh, therefore, Conserve Congo is really a trailblazer, a role model when it comes to uh, combating wildlife trafficking in the region. Right, and I'm sure that you had probably have mentioned this before to authorities trying to raise awareness to local communities. And now we're, we've gotten to this point where we have this global outbreak. Exactly. Um, creating awareness is part of our job. Uh, is, so creating awareness literally translates into education. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though at local level, uh, education is focusing on uh, young children between the ages of 12 and 18, and that's mainly because their mind is still flexible. We are trying to break a century-old tradition of consuming bushmeat. And as you may know, that is not going to be very easy to break something which has become a tradition. But we do believe that with their flexible mind and them being the custodian of the future, it would be important that we focus on them. But then uh, creating awareness does not end onto these children. We do get a chance also to do what we call institutional education. And this is where we get together all our authorities, people who are in power, decision makers, in order to make them aware of the importance of being part and parcel of this struggle that we undertake. And this involves policemen, it involves park rangers, it involves court officials, it involves politicians, customs officials, and so on and so forth. And we do this in order to make them aware that these laws do really exist, the laws which protect wildlife. And these laws are not just a simple good advice. These laws should be applied because sometimes we really are faced with a challenge of corruption and ignorance. And by creating awareness to our institutions, the aim is to get everybody behind our back so that we can make this a team effort instead of it being just uh, a thing from the civil society. And we do not end there. Our awareness, just like we are doing right now, we are trying to create a world-class um, world awareness because at this stage, 
most people still believe that wildlife trafficking and poaching only affects Africans because <laughs> it is an issue of Africans. But that is not true. Because when you look at it, the wildlife that we're trying to protect is what I refer to as the gardens of the forest. Right. But at this stage, the Congo Basin forest being the largest forest in the world because the Amazon, which was previously the largest, has had the, uh, the bad effects of uh, deforestation as well as uh, the greed from commercial plantations of, uh, of palm trees. And yet it has now degraded. And therefore, the only option that we are left with is Congo Basin Forest. And these animals, some of the seeds of these trees, in order for them to regenerate in the future, they have to go through the digestive system of some of these animals, including pachyderms, which are elephants and primates. And therefore, on a daily basis, they travel hundreds of kilometers. And as they dump their scut, they ensure the future of this forest. And indirectly, Conserve Congo trying to fight for the existence. We are also fighting for the existence of this forest, which not only sequestrates uh, CO2, but also emits oxygen, which is the paramount element in order for us to survive on this earth. Yes. And therefore, oxygen knows no borders, it knows no nationality, and it knows no race. So the work that we do is at the benefit of humanity, and therefore it's everybody's business. Exactly. The work that you're doing is global. And that's basically, you had mentioned that in your speech at that rally in 2019, um, that these animals that are being affected actually are doing us a whole heck of a lot of good. And we really need that right now as uh, things are changing in our world. And so your work is um, highly admired by me and the efforts that you're putting in because you're not just fighting for um, the biodiversity in your country, you're actually fighting for um, humanity Thank you very much. Degree. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, my, my heart just melted when you had mentioned all of that because I uh, agree with it so deeply. And I know that um, the Congo Basin is changing. And so I wanted to ask you, what was the Congo Basin like years and years ago to now? How much has it changed? All right, thank you very much for that question. So as a child, I knew that um, hearing from our forefathers, our great fathers and our great mothers, in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, we've never heard of the word extinction. And each time we heard of the word extinction, it was meaning uh, extinguishing the fire. It did not talk about extinct species. And that's because mainly uh, our people, African people, the Congolese people, lived and cohabited in perfect harmony with nature. There was nothing called protected area because everything was protected. 
So the entire village, the entire region, the entire countries were protected. And people lived with these uh, creatures, not as separate beings, but everybody as part of the ecosystem inside in what we would refer to as perfect interdependence. And it's only afterwards we had an influence, an outside influence, which came to separate the human element from the entire ecosystem that we started seeing of extinction. So literally, uh, the local population was meant to believe that this resource, which is actually our natural heritage, did not belong to us. And as you may have known, people will tend to protect what they love and people can only love what they understand and you can only understand what you're exposed to. So generation after generation, uh, this interconnection between humans and nature at large started to disappear. And with time going on, uh, wildlife started being seen as a commodity to be utilized to get by every day. Whereas in our forefathers' time, we believe that some of our ancestors reincarnated and sometimes they would come back as wildlife. And that's the reason why all African tribes are subdivided into clans. And every clan has what to refer to as a totem. And a totem is usually a wild animal which represents not only your pride, but your entire ancestry. And therefore, our forefathers had a lot of respect for wildlife and vice versa. And this interconnection allowed us to live together. Now, looking at wildlife trafficking today, it does not only strip us of our pride as a people, but it strips us of our heritage, our history, because that's who we are. Adams, if I could get you on a stage and have the whole world listen to you, I think you can change so many people's lives because you're so right. That value of inter interdependence, interconnection has been lost. That's true. And it's hard to, un to know that animals are treated as a commodity right now and a means to an end. Exactly. Uh, instead of being a part of us. Exactly. Now, now we have separated ourselves from fauna and flora. We are somehow um, people think that we're better than. We are free elements. I don't even think we think we are better. I think because we feel so much worse about ourselves. So it is more of a, uh, an action which is being uh, driven by ignorance, is being driven by anger. It's being driven by greed. Yes. And right. which does have very dire consequences, not only on us, but on the planet as a whole. And people haven't quite understood that because we still have people who are trying to justify that. And right. in my humble opinion, there is no justification. And I can guarantee you, in conservation right now, the only the missing uh, piece of the puzzle is the human element. If you look at millions, the huge amounts of dollars and euros which is being invested in preserving and conserving wildlife, but on a daily basis, year in, year out, we keep losing species. 
And uh, everybody's trying to come up with new strategies, with new ways of conserving. But honestly, and this is something that you'll not read in all the reports, nothing is working. And that's right. because we are sidelining the human. And the human being is the principal, the main actor of the environment. You have to be environmentally aware in order to make the entire ecosystem work. And we are trying to separate. People have lost their homes in what we refer to as protected areas today. There shouldn't be anything called a protected, protected area. The entire globe should be protected. And for it to be protected, human beings have got to own it. Understand? It's the same way you own your home. If we believe that Virunga or Kauzibiega is our home, we cannot destroy it. But because people believe that that does not belong to us and other elements which come with it, which I would refer to as uh, collateral damage, it damages our sense of uh, cognition, a sense that can, can make us understand that this is our natural heritage. We inherited it from our forefathers. Our forefathers inherited it from God, and we have the responsibility to avail it to the future generations because that's who we are. It's true. It's true. We, we don't, our, our perspective on life is so skewed. And in, in this day and age, we, we don't, we really don't have much time to continue with that, that tunnel vision. That's true. Uh, many scientists are saying that we are going through our sixth mass extinction right now, which is the only mass extinction that's due entirely just about to uh, human, human greed and how we're treating the earth. Now I'm going to shock you. Oh, go ahead. Our, our forefathers were not any, anywhere closer to being scientists. Right. But, but they preserved this wildlife until when the first colonialists arrived on the continent. And we did not know about extinction. We did not know about poaching because they also had their own indigenous ways of preserving. And unfortunately, sometimes science is in conflict with uh, the local uh, indigenous knowledge. In any case, I think rather than being in conflict, there should be two things which complement each other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it tends to be like it's a tit for tat, and yet it's not. It's one thing said different, differently. Right. Exactly. That's just basically the whole um, truth that we are all interconnected. It's, there is no tip for tat. As far as the threats to the wildlife of wildlife trafficking and poaching, where, where is the scale of poaching due to hunger versus poaching to make money? Right. Um, at this stage, we know that there are two types of poaching. And um, if you are poaching because you're hungry, you do not need to kill 10 buffaloes because one buffalo can feed an entire village perhaps for a week. And that's what we refer to as subsistence poaching. Whereas if you need a ton of ivories, definitely you're going to have at least 
20 to 50 elephants gone down. And that's greed. So greed still surpasses hunger when it comes to the need to do poaching. And you must understand that in the olden days or in the recent past, our people were just killing animals because they were hungry and they just wanted to eat. And anything we refer to as wildlife products today, those were just collateral damages until somebody came and whispered into their ear, hey, you see that which you do not like, we need it and we're going to pay you for it. And ever since, everybody has been rushing to try and use this as a shortcut to getting uh, an economic stability, not knowing that this is not sustainable. This is something which uh, works against us. It has been established by science that an elephant in its lifetime can yield as much as a billion dollars in taxes, in job creation, and other benefits that it comes with. Whereas if we killed an elephant now, the biggest elephant with the biggest tasks, it cannot give us more than $100,000. Right. So I think uh, the first analogy would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. But people would only believe this if they see their interest in it. If they don't see the interest in it, then they will not go with it. That's why in our own existence, we have never seen a village where people have gone and built a toilet next to a water source or a spring, because everybody knows that that uh, spring is ours and is for our clean water. So everybody in the village tries to protect it. But once people believe that this is for others, it becomes a situation of us and them. And that's where the problem is right now. We should be in a position where we can say the barriers that exist in North America are ours. I am in Africa, but I know there is a bear, something called a bear in North America. Somebody who's in Mexico should know that in Africa, somewhere in Central Africa, there is something called a bonobo. It belongs to us. And even though it's not in my backyard, it does something which is beneficial to me and to my family and to the world at large. That's the only way we can make this a global fight for the benefit of the entire planet. Right. With your um, outreach for um, communication and education with the communities, do you work with ecotourist um, groups and organizations to to help enforce the importance of the wildlife that are currently there? Yes, we are trying, but then you must understand that our country has had uh, a very bad image in the media due to our past, uh, the numerous instabilities, the numerous wars which have been fought in our country for the the same natural resources that we've been blessed uh, with by God. Right. And therefore, at this point, our country attracts very few tourists. But Conserve Congo at a much lower scale 
has been encouraging tourists, especially eco-tourists, to come to our country. And yes, we use every opportunity we can get to get this message to them so that they can get it across the globe when they return back to their countries. And uh, we are not done. It's still work in progress. But we believe that things change. Mm -hmm. So is the world. Things have always been evolving. And this is not going to be the first time. We do believe that tomorrow it will be a better day than yesterday. That's a, that's a good vision to have. Good outlook. Because that's what keeps you going. Thank you so much. Right. How did you begin investigating wildlife trafficking networks? Right. So Conserve Congo was founded in 2013. And at this stage, the whole world was talking about um, the poachers invading our protected areas, that they had uh, more firepower than we did. And the idea was to empower park rangers with as many guns and uh, more ammunition as uh, they could so that we can make face, we can face uh, these thugs with uh, an equal firepower. I personally was part of the volunteers who patrolled in almost all the protected areas back home. And um, having the kind of protected areas that we have back home, some of them which are larger than some countries in the world. And you'll see being a park ranger in my country is still not an attractive career due to many factors, including remuneration. And now there is not a single day that I came across a poacher as he was being described at the time. And mind you, I do not say that poachers did not exist or do not exist, they do what they did. And as a matter of fact, each time I left a place, you'll hear there was an ambush in which more of my colleagues lost their lives. Mm. However, it was just too complicated because these poachers seemed to understand these areas better than anybody else did. So they were almost like invisible, trying to search for a needle in a, in a bale of, of hay. Yeah. And uh, at this stage, I went back home and tried to think over it. And this is where I realized that, wait a minute, these people do not go into protected protected areas to kill wildlife so they can keep it inside there. So at one given moment, they have to come out. And therefore I said, maybe I should go outside and be as invisible as they are. And this is how I started. I, I would say this is where I got an inspiration now. And using my background as an investigative journalist and uh, with other abilities which I had, I started writing protocols and procedures on how to go about doing investigations. And steady, steady, we started doing, we made a lot of mistakes in the process, but as we made mistakes, we learned and we corrected things. And in 2017, bam, we hit and we caught our first three uh, suspects who were trying to traffic a live bonobo with uh, 11 hands and wow. 10 ads. And this is the first time ever the wildlife case in the Democratic Republic of Congo was prosecuted in a court of law. And we are very much proud of us as Conserved Congo for making history. Because from there afterwards, there were just so many cases 
which were prosecuted based on that case. In fact, we think that that is going to be a model on which uh, future cases are going to be referred to, even in the legal fraternity. And we are so much uh, proud of being part of that, helping not only our country, but the wildlife, as well as humanity. Yes, as you should be proud. Because like you said, you you had to make mistakes and then you finally were able to understand how to go about it. And there you have it. It came to fruition that you were able to successfully arrest these poachers. Sure. Wow. How many operations can Conserve Congo work on at one time? If I have to be really open about that, I can tell you we can have an operation almost every day. Mm. if we had the resources. These crimes are being committed at a mass scale that people and uh, particularly our officials and the people who are supposed to care enough, they are not aware. But on a good day with good and uh, available resources, every day we can make an arrest. Wow. understand that wildlife crime has become as popular and as common as any other crime. It's like asking me how many times can we arrest a rapist or a thief. Every day, it's human nature to commit crime. And that's why every country has law enforcement. But you've done a lot of work to, to have partnerships with local authorities to make these arrests and to bring suspects to court. Yes, I mean that, that was a lot of that was a lot of work for Conserve Congo to work from the ground up. Indeed, indeed, Nicole, we have really worked hard. And that's because there are so many people, should I say, fly by night. And uh, of course, we also do have some rebel rousers who would say one thing and do the opposite. Mm. And we do not blame our government for doubting us in the beginning. But at this stage, through our work, which has spoken for itself, now we have gained that trust. And as a result, we've got a, a very effective MOU between Conserve Congo and the Ministry for Environment. We have an existing MOU between Conserve Congo and the Ministry for Justice. And we have an effective MOU between Conserve Congo and the Wildlife Authority, which is called ICCN in French, is Institut Congolais pour la Conservation de la Nature. And uh, of course, we've got other understandings and agreements with other uh, local authorities, including law enforcement, such as our police, uh, the Corps PPN, which is a, a detachment of the army and put at the service of protected areas. And we work with them in a joint effort in order to make wildlife trafficking and poaching a thing of the past. Right. And, and despite all of these partnerships, you're still finding that you could be on someone's case every day. You could be finding these illegal wildlife crimes. Definitely. And we actually think that because of these partnerships, now it gives us more confidence and more trust in tracking down these bad guys. Mm-hmm. and give them what they deserve because there are provisions within the legal frame to put them behind bars as it is a crime. Right. With your help and all of your efforts, 
um, to uh, arrest traffickers? Have the laws been strengthened against violators? Well, the law needs not to be strengthened because the Congo has got one of the best written laws combating wildlife trafficking. And we've had this for over 30 years. The problem has always been the enforcement of that law. And that's where Conserve Congo chipped in. And one of our, part of our work is to come to officials and tell them, hey, it's not us, it is the law. Please apply it. Mm-hmm. And as it is for a wildlife crime in the DRC, there is uh, a punishment of between 12 months and 10 years behind bars and a fine ranging between 1,000 to 100,000 US dollars. You can okay. either have one or you can have both. Yeah, I yes, I, I, I understand, right? It's the enforcement of the law that, that is what you're what you're trying to do here is to help that so that you see through to um, these these wildlife crimes and that they are um, that these people have been brought to to justice for what has happened. Exactly. Yeah. If uh, the law is not enforced, <laughs> it just becomes a good advice. <laughs> right. Um, right. Don't need that. Definitely. Right. I read that the DRC has nine borders. So that makes it easy for many transiting points for wildlife contraband. Does um, the Ministry of the Environment and with Conserve Congo, do you have partnerships with neighboring countries to help with um, capturing wildlife traffickers? Right, so the Congo uh, has more than nine borders, but rather the Congo has got nine neighboring countries. Okay. As a matter of fact, we are the only country in Africa which has as many as nine uh, neighboring countries. And yes, Conserve Congo, together with the local authorities, we have partnerships with uh, other state-owned agencies and uh, the civil society in some of our neighboring countries, such as Uganda, uh, Zambia, Central African Republic, uh, Burundi, as well as Congo Brazzaville. And this way, all of us with our partners have understood that uh, wildlife crime is not an isolated case only for the DRC. It is a generic crime which is found in all these countries. And if we work together, we're going to win it. And if we said we're going to work solo, we are going to lose. And with our partners, we have managed to yield uh, very good results by collaborating with international law enforcement, including the Interpol. And oh, wow. Okay. Put uh, many bad guys behind bars and made very significant seizures of uh, wildlife contraband from uh, the black market. Amazing. That's amazing. How long did it take for you to establish those types of partnerships? It took forever. So next year, February, we're going to be 10 years old. And you can imagine we have not finished achieving, getting uh, what we really need in order to make the work easier. So it's still work in progress. We cannot even say that we have done half of it. 
we're still far from there. And that's wow. the reason why we're still pushing. Wow. Can you share some of the stories of your rescues with the, with people that are listening? Well, we have made uh, many rescues, uh, mainly of uh, live animals. And the live animals that we usually rescue involve uh, great apes, uh, primates in general, pangolins, birds such as the marabou stock, uh, the African gray parrot. And mainly when we rescue these animals, because of lack of infrastructure of where we can take them, sometimes we have to take them home. And there is a connection that is born, uh, a bond, a certain kind of a bond that is created between, between the rescuers and these animals. And yes, I can tell you that that bond sometimes it comes tempting, but we know better than that, that a wild animal is not a pet. Right. Not a friend. We just love them the way they are and we want them to be happy. And they can only be happy if they're together with their own kind, because that's how God created it. Our job is just to get them out of that slavery, out of that prison, and put them at a place where they can get a second chance at life. And usually that is a sanctuary. We not, do not have so many of these sanctuaries in our country. I think we just have like three or four, which are species specific. And therefore it does not give us a chance to rescue as many or a variety of animals. So we keep rescuing only what we can place in a place of safety. Okay. Which is really uh, a bummer. And uh, right. you may have heard recently in the Congo, there was a case where three chimpanzees were stolen from a sanctuary. And this is becoming really scary. Oh, no. And what really pains us, because three of those uh, chimpanzees, two of those three chimpanzees were rescued by Conserve Congo in Kinshasa late last year. Oh, so no. this is like spitting on the work that we have achieved so far. And we are really saddened by the level of uh, conspiracy that these criminals can get to in order to achieve what they want. But on our side, we'll not give up. Like we said, EC work in progress and will not give up until we reduce tremendously the negative impact that uh, poaching and wildlife trafficking has on our natural heritage. Exactly, you can't because the wildlife needs you and and really the globe needs you, the planet needs you to do the work that you do because you're, like you said in the beginning, you're not just doing this work for the wildlife, but you're actually helping the planet and humanity too. And until people can see that um, for their own eyes and understand it within their heart, you need to keep doing what you're doing. Sure. <laughs> and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. It has never been easy to accomplish anything worth accomplishing. Right. Right. Were those uh, the two that were taken from you? Were those, you had a, a video of two that you rescued, two chimpanzees last exactly. year? Exactly. That was December and, uh, and November. Uh, one of them is called Caesar. Another one is called, sorry. One of them is called Hussein, and another one is called Monga. 
Mm. And it was stolen from a sanctuary called Jack. Mm. J-A-C-K in a town called Lubumbashi. It's been almost three months now. And uh, these thugs were harassing uh, management of that sanctuary, asking for a ransom of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, to date, the animals are still missing. Oh, wow. That breaks my heart. <sighs> but you have to keep doing the, the good fight, keep fighting the good fight, um, because we can't, we can't give up. It has been 10 years already. Right. Yeah, you're still we, going strong. We, we cannot give up now. No, I don't no. have any intention of giving up. Right. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, you recently met with U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Monica Medina, and Conserve Congo was only one of two representatives that she met with while she was in the DRC. Yes. How did your meeting go with her? What types of topics did you discuss with her? Well, we touched on a number of uh, topics, but the most relevant was first the kind of partnership that the U.S. as a state is trying to establish with uh, the Congolese government. And uh, we also mentioned that there is no government without the people. And the people are represented in two ways, either through the civil society or through the government. And that we should be part and parcel of that partnership. And we felt so privileged to be part of that talk and being only one of the two organizations which were invited. And that goes to show you the kind of credibility that we have at international level. And once it involves uh, diplomacy, we are proud to, to be part of such, uh, such talks. Another issue which we spoke about was the preservation of uh, the biggest and largest uh, rainforest in the world, which is the Congo Basin Forest. And we explained to her as to the, what the role that we play in doing that, which she acknowledged and uh, she kind of raised our morale in order to keep uh, keeping the fight that we are uh, involved in. Mm -hmm. But also, and most importantly, we spoke about security of individuals such as uh, ourselves, because when you do the kind of work that we do, you expose yourself. And sometimes you do not know who are your friends and who are your enemies. And sometimes we really need uh, the kind of support that we may get. And this could be uh, an opportunity for funding or just security that should anything go wrong, we know that the world has got our back, which she assured us that uh, from the US point of view or perspective, uh, Conserve Congo was really encouraged and that they had us on their mind, which made us really glad. And uh, we still thank the US government and all its envoys to our country to keep giving us a shoulder and a hand to keep doing what we do in a very safe environment. Yes. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you have that support. Yes, we do. Yes, right. because you deserve, not only do you deserve it, but it's very important to for you in order to continue the work that you do. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I'm so happy about that. I would like to ask 
Um, I know that you reach out to the communities um, to help people learn how to substance farm. Um, how is that going? Yes, it is going uh, very steady, slowly but surely. And now you must understand that we are bringing in uh, something different. We are not the first people to involve the community in such uh, activities. And we did not want to be another statistic, which starts something that we cannot finish. And therefore, we have our own strategies on how to approach this. And it's a bit different because most people jump onto this opportunity to try and empower people from day one. And empowerment is only about getting something concrete in your hand. And we started this as an opportunity for us to meet as a community. While we are tilling that land, while we are watering that garden, we are not there to harvest so we can sell and make profit today. It is a long-term project. But in the short term, let's get together. Let's talk about issues which affect us the most. Let's go back to our forefathers' time. Which value do we give to wildlife? Is it just simple food so that we can have dinner tonight? Or is it a resource that we can use sustainably so that our grandchildren can also benefit from it? And uh, at this stage, as we have such conversation, our herd keeps growing up. Be it cows, be it goats, pigs, and so on and so forth. You must understand that our country is blessed with a very nice soil. In our land, the sun shines every day. The rain comes out every day. We do not need to use fertilizers for us to till the land. We do not need to till a hectare of land twice in a row because we have got options. And these are some of the mentalities that we try to inculcate in the minds of our people. And steadily, we are seeing a difference. So as we keep ourselves busy having these discussions, these awkward conversations, that is where uh, the positive results come from. And while we are doing that, by the time we finish, we'll turn around and see, hey, now we are able to take a couple of cows and give it to the next community because now they have sufficient knowledge on how to attend to it, how to take care of it, they can be able to raise it. And after five years, that family can be also able to gift the next family with another couple. And so we keep spreading the love and uh, our efforts will start yielding the results that we we need. Yeah, that makes a difference to have those awkward conversations because I think in those awkward conversations, you become vulnerable and it actually, you bring out... um, truths and better understanding of each other in those types of conversations. So I I think that's a beautiful approach and perspective. Exactly. On how to be a community. If we're going to solve problems, we have to agree first that yes, there is a problem. Mm -hmm. And for us to be able to agree and be on the same page, we must be willing to take and tackle this uncomfortable conversations. Otherwise, we'll be lying to each other and to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Once we have such com- conversation, the truth comes out. And once the truth comes out, we are able to address the issue from its root cause and not from its effects. And right. that's how you get to develop a community. You must understand that within the word community, there is common. So there has to be something 
of, of common interest, which is going to create unity and hence the word community. Beautifully said. Beautifully said, yes. I wanted to um, ask what would what are Conserve Congo's goals for next year? It'll be 10 years. And do you have any big goals for your as far as your purpose and mission for next year? Yes, definitely we have goals. We cannot be such a an impactful organization without having goals. Otherwise, we go helter-skelter and uh, we get lost. So we have so many goals, but I think the short-term goals that we have for next year, the biggest one would be for us to be able to have an HQ, a headquarters for Conserve Congo that we own. Everybody, including birds and the smallest animals in the wild, have a home. And Conserve Congo, if he's willing to save the home of these animals, has got to have its own home. So we are having hope that somebody out there will uh, give us a hand so that we can build our own offices where we'll call home. The second one is that we need also to incorporate um, a community center. It does not help us to have a home if our community does not have a place where they can convene. Here in America, you have community centers everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is where people meet. In schools, it's for children to come and learn. What about people who are no longer in school? At work, they've got boardrooms. That's for people who work where they meet. Now, how about the community? Where do they meet? They have to have a place where they meet so they can talk about issues. And once people start talking about these issues, like I said earlier, now you are beginning to to have a a solution coming up. But second, uh, third, sorry, uh, we have managed already to secure certain community forests, which are being managed by the community. We need to empower those people because these people are not just going to preserve their forests if they do not patrol them, if they do not have the means to patrol them. We are talking gear, boots. We need to give them uh, uh, GPSs. We need to equip them accordingly so that they can feel like really they do own uh, this community forest. We want the community to prove the, the state otherwise that you did not do right by separating us from nature look at what we are doing now and how we are doing it and ensure that the little wildlife, which is still in those forests, it's safe, but also that it gets a chance to multiply and that our Congo can claim back its place where it has always had, which is number one in terms of uh, the most biodiverse country in the world. So those are some of uh, the things that we intend. But also, most importantly, we want to continue networking, creating relationships with other organizations, individuals and governments or state-owned agencies, because these are the people who have got funds to be able to spearhead the kind of uh, uh, projects that we are doing. Without resources, we cannot achieve much. But once we have the the right resources, we are able to put this trend into motion and keep moving. Yes. 
Yes, that's my hope for you too. I would love to see these goals actually come to fruition for Conserve Congo for all that you do. And I would like to ask, where can people um, learn more about Conserve Congo? So if people can help donate to these goals for next year, where do they go? All right. So we have a website, uh, www.conserve.congo, conserve Congo in one word, dot org. www.conservecongo.org. You can also email us at uh, conservecongo, C-O-N-S-E-R-V, C-O-N-G-O at gmail.com. You can also get us on WhatsApp, plus 243-970-440-110. I repeat, plus 240-970-440-110. You can get us there. You can also follow us on Twitter at capital A-M-I-N-I-16 in numbers. I repeat, at A, capital A, M-I-N-I-1-6 in numbers. You can keep up with uh, the evolution of the work that we do. We post on a daily basis and we post to educate, to inform, but also to create awareness. And we welcome any interaction that you can have, any new ideas, or any other remarks that you may give us. Please get in touch. Thank you, Adams. I do post on Wild for Change on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well for um, any updates that Conserve Congo has on recent arrests or wildlife rescues. Um, <clears throat> to see Conserve Congo in action is, um, you know, I have such admiration for you and everyone at Conserve Congo for the work that you do. Um, I respect and appreciate it. And, you know, it, it, it's a sad, it's, it's heartbreaking about what's happening, but because we have people like you, I feel like I have hope. Thank you very much, Nicole. Uh, we have hope too. And with people like you who act as a loudspeaker to the little message that we have, we say thank you. We say thank you to your listeners and we hope to meet somewhere so that collectively we can make history. Mm-hmm.